The Celtic theologian J. Philip Newell writes in the introduction to his new book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Souls, that each of us knows things at the core of our being that we have not necessarily been taught. Some of this deep knowing will be at odds with what our society or religion has tried to teach us. So the question becomes, how do we reawaken to what we know in the depths of our being? How do we reawaken to the knowing that reminds us that the earth is sacred and this sacredness is at the heart of every human being and every life form? As we began planning a creation series for this fall, Newell's book was being released and our plans to begin a podcast were taking shape. We have long searched for a way to share all that is happening in our community with those who do not live in Southern California. Over our pandemic quarantine, we learned how to do so many things we had never done before. And as we have come back to our magnificent space in the City of Angels, we are bringing new life to the ancient understanding of the Divine Presence that lives in all things, in all times, and all places. The first offerings for this podcast follow closely with Newell's book, and in listening to each episode, you will quickly come to understand why we chose the name of Holy Heresy for this endeavor. Whether you consider yourself religious or not, whether you have a lot of faith, very little faith, absolutely no faith, or are of another faith, we invite you to these conversations. Our only request is that you will be open to an awakening of this deep knowledge that lies within you. A deep knowledge that has the possibility of transforming the way you understand yourself and the way you choose to live your life. The first episode begins with a big question regarding a bedrock belief that shaped Christianity in the fourth century. You will meet the Celtic priest Pelagius and come to understand the battle that he lost and how it shaped the church from that point forward. Pelagius is a holy heretic, and we welcome his presence on this episode of Holy Heresy. You're listening to Holy Heresy, a podcast that looks for the questions found at the intersection of spirituality, justice, and the arts. Holy Heresy is brought to you by the First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. Today we begin our creation series. Our theme for this, as Mary told you, was, is sacred earth, sacred souls. 
Our guide through these weeks is the Celtic theologian J. Philip Newell, who has been so instrumental in my own personal theology. If I could only say one thing about J. Philip Newell, I would want to say thank you for int introducing me to some amazing heretics. I did not know much about heretics before I began my time at Divinity School. In my world, heretics were not heroes, they were heretics. Much to my surprise, we were taught about heretics right alongside the fathers of the church. It was interesting to see the differences and begin to understand how our basic beliefs were shaped by the battles between the heretics and those who won the day and ended up in the history books. An odd thing began to happen to me during that time. The deeper I got into the history and theology of the church, the more I liked the heretics, which of course had the potential to be problematic. I did at various times wonder if I had perhaps chosen the wrong profession. Thankfully, about that time, I discovered Celtic Christianity in all its beauty and mystery, and I stumbled upon the person who would become my favorite heretic, Pelagius. If you pull out your phones, which it's perfectly okay if you do, and look up Pelagius, you will find that he was the loser in the battle with Augustine, one of the great church fathers. If you take the time to read some of his writings from the fourth century, not just what church history has written about him, you will find he believed that God is at the very heart of creation. Pelagius stressed not only the essential goodness of creation, but very specifically the essential goodness of humanity. When Pelagius arrived in Rome, from his native Wales in the late 4th century, he quickly became a teacher of note and a spiritual advisor to many of the families. But almost immediately, conflict engulfed him. The attacks by other priests and church leaders centered around three elements. First, he was accused of spending too much time with women. He was teaching them how to read and interpret the sacred scriptures. Already the church by that time had subordinated the feminine within imperial Christianity. And it was strange that they honed in on that point, considering that the Gospels are very clear about Jesus teaching women. The second principle of criticism concerned his hairstyle. Pelagius did not have the Roman clerical tonsure which was characterized by a shaved crown surrounded by a ring of hair symbolizing the crown of thorns that had been placed on Jesus' head. Now, the only person I think who could pull that off, perhaps, is David Harris. <laughs> if, if we could just get him to try it, it would be great. Pelagius, on the other hand, wore the Celtic tonsure which consisted of long hair on the top with the sides and the backs shaven more closely, rather like Reverend Michael's hair is often. He's already got that going. The Celtic tonsure had been, and this is a really important point, the juridic tonsure, and was one of the symbols of the priesthood in the Christian Celtic custom. 
As Newell explains, this spoke of the way in which the Celtic mission stood in radical community with dramatic wisdom that had gone before it. To those in Rome, when Pelagius arrived, he looked like a pagan and he spoke like a pagan. Devotion to Christ among the Celts did <laughs> the Celts did not mean abandoning the spiritual wisdom they had inherited from their pre-Christian traditions. Traditions which celebrated the sacredness of the earth, the harmony of the spheres, and the wisdom of the human soul. Christ was their spiritual teacher, and the teachings and myths that had come down to them from their past was like their Old Testament that preceded Christ. You can imagine how that rattled Rome. Anything pre-Christian was to be abandoned or eradicated, but certainly not honored and never celebrated with a blasphemous hairstyle. Yet it was the third and primary criticism of Pelagius that caused the church to do everything in their power to silence him. Pelagius believed that every child is born through the love of God and that to look in the face of a newborn baby is to look at the image of God. Pelagius believed and taught about the original blessing of God in opposition to the church's developing tradition of original sin. Often when I start talking about original blessing rather than original sin, people will say to me, but original sin is in the Bible. No, it actually isn't. The idea of original sin took four centuries to develop. Now that fact actually got my attention in divinity school. I couldn't imagine that the professor was right. And so, of course, it sent me into study and research looking to see if they were correct. So I would say to you, many of you know, I am not a fan of the doctrine of original sin, which has so dominated Western Christianity. This doctrine, which showed up as a cornerstone of Augustine's teaching, has made us believe that at the core of our being, that being that has been created in the image of God, all is not well. Professing Christians throughout the centuries have been reminded over and over again that a life of faith means recognizing our true nature as sinful people and then doing absolutely everything we can to overcome it. Original sin has given us a wrathful, judgmental God who is just waiting to pounce on us and haul us off to the trash heap. No wonder so many people find it easy to judge others. If we believe our God is judgmental, we will feel free to unleash our own brand of fear and hate in God's name. Perhaps the saddest result is that the doctrine of original sin has given us the impression that what is deepest within us is contrary to the one from whom we have come. Being transformed into the likeness of the triune God does not come from believing 
that at our deepest core, we are worthless creatures. Yet for many of us, the idea of original sin is hard to let go of. We have trouble grasping the original blessing that has been ours since the very beginning. For some of us, the understanding of our own innate goodness is often dramatic. It is as if someone throws open the door to a God who is just waiting for us to come home to who we truly are. And when we open that door and are enveloped in the love of God, life begins to make sense. For others of us, the process is more gradual. There is a quiet wisdom that begins to emerge from the depths of our being. We may notice it in a sunset at the beach or in the eyes of a newborn child or in the forgiveness of a partner or a spouse. We may experience it in a church where the beautiful music of the choir brings tears to our eyes. Or we may hear it in the prayers that remind us we are more than our mistakes. Or perhaps we begin to understand how much God loves us when we hear our ministers every week reminding us again and again about a gracious God, a God who sees us as beloved children and in whom God is well pleased. In opposition to what the church has taught, God is always trying to break through to us and remind us we are enough. We simply need to be reminded of who God is and who we are. People often ask, if there is no original sin, then what is the gospel all about? Original blessing does not involve the denial of evil and its power over us. Rather, it implies that at the heart of each one of us is the image and the goodness of God, an image that can be obscured by the practice of wrongdoing and evil. Yet deeper than any wrong in us is the light of God, a light that has never been overcome, as John's gospel so beautifully reminds us. C.S. Lewis, the great writer and theologian of the 20th century, said it this way. When we die, we will not say, God, I could never have guessed how beautiful you are. We will not say that. Rather, we will say, so it was you all along. Everyone I loved, it was you. Everyone who loved me, it was you. Every decent or fine thing that ever happened to me, everything that made me reach out and try to be better, it was you all along. It was you, God. It was always you, reminding me of your love and my goodness. 
with gratitude to the Spirit of God and to our friend Pelagius today in this sacred time and space. Know you are loved. Know you are good. And in this place, know you are always welcome to come home. Amen. If you enjoy the Holy Heresy podcast and would like to support these continuing conversations, visit fccla.org give and follow the prompts. Donations are tax deductible and all gifts support the social outreach, faith-based exploration, and commitment to the arts that is First Church. Holy Heresy comes from the conversations that begin in our live services on Sunday mornings. Each week we explore the growing edges of theological thought, the exploration of the links between science and religion, the challenges of spiritual practice in 21st century Los Angeles, and most of all, the joys of sharing community in the creative capital of the world. This podcast is produced and directed by David Harris and Laura Velfragan. David Garcia Saldana, Production Manager, Laurel Irene, Audio Mixing. Originally recorded by Mark Doten, Casper Abbo, Danny Hess, Cameron Johnston, and David Mitchell. Musical credits for this episode include Vincent Lubeck's Fuga in F Major by Christoph Bull on the Great Organs, Cenantibus Autem Ilis, written by Juan de Lienas and performed by Laude, directed by David Harris, September Variations by Christoph Bull, and Moses Hogan's Walk Together Children, performed by the Cathedral Choir. Thank you for your presence here today, where all are welcome.